This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Scripture for today is from Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. You can find it on page 983 in the Bibles in your pew. Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's uh, good to see all your faces. Uh, It is Family Worship Sunday, so I'm just going to jump right in and go ahead and pray. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, would you come um, and take your word and use it to change us? Holy Spirit, would we hear these words and be convicted and comforted? Would you stir in our hearts? places that we don't have love for all the saints, or places that we are not thankful, or places that um, we have sin in our lives, or places that we need to grow, or things that you want to point out. Spirit of God, would we be humble? Would you carve out space in our hearts to receive that with, uh, with humility? Believing that even hard things are good things if they're from your hand. Would you strengthen faith this morning? Would you strengthen faith this morning? We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, this, uh, this morning we're uh, in our second week of a brand new series where we're going to walk, we're going to march through the book of Colossians um, and we are going to mine out everything that we can out of the book of Colossians. And this week, I'm going to take this short section that is primarily a thanksgiving and a prayer to kind of draw out three key principles or three key concepts for us this morning. And those three, these kind of uh, core kind of Christian concepts are that thanksgiving Thanksgiving, what, what, what Paul opens with here, Thanksgiving is core to the Christian life. I want to talk about how there's a love amongst the saints that springs from hope. A love amongst the saints that comes out of hope. 
And the last thing I want to talk about is how there's no other gospel except the word of truth that's referenced this morning. So the first one, the, the thanksgiving is core to the Christian life. I've been burdened in the last several months that we learn, that we learn more about thanksgiving and that we deepen in our own learning about how to be a thankful people as a church family. So much so that in July, we're going to take a break from the book of Colossians and spend that whole month preaching from the Psalms. And we're going to preach from the Psalms of thanksgiving. The psalmist has a lot to teach us when it comes to how and when and why to give thanks. And here, in this opening section of the book of Colossians, Paul says, we always, we always give thanks. We always thank God. And his emphasis on gratitude shows up actually throughout the book. So we're going to see the theme of that kind of attitude later in Colossians. And we want to, we want to address it right at the outset. The Christian virtue of gratitude is a virtue worth cultivating. Thanksgiving does a lot of things in our lives. Thanksgiving reorients our prayers, it reorients our hearts, and it reorients our work, what's in front of us to do. It reorients our prayer life. And I don't want to spend a lot of time trying to quantify how many of our complaints are kind of biblical petitions to God or how many of our complaints kind of spill over into mere uh, discontent or murmuring. But what I would love is for our gratitude as a people to increase. To see us become a people that are increasing in thankfulness to God constantly. To learn from Paul's example and start to be always thanking God. G.K. Beale says in his commentary on Colossians that, quote, spiritual impoverishment comes when believers do not prayerfully contemplate the experience of God's grace in their lives and such impoverishment results in an unthankful perspective. Gratitude reorients the prayer life of a Christian because when you meditate on the grace and kindness and forgiveness in the gospel, you pray differently. Your heart's full and grateful. Your heart's focused on what God has already done for you in the gospel and less about what we might think we need in the moment. God's a father and he delights to hear from us. He delights when we come and ask uh, of him and from him, when we tug on his shirt, so to speak. But we ask differently when the posture of our heart is one of thankfulness and gratitude. Thanksgiving also reorients your heart. It's difficult to be thankful and malicious at the same time. It's difficult to be thankful and full of envy at the same time. It's difficult to be thankful and to be judgmental at the same time. The way that gratitude functions in the human heart is that it swells up and expands and displaces those kind of petty, self-absorbed sins that try to run our lives. To truly cultivate a habit of thanksgiving will change you. It will change how you discipline your kids. It'll change how you talk to your kids. It'll change how you receive critique or correction from your friends. 
It'll change how you treat your wife or how you treat your husband. If you cultivate a thankful heart for those gifts in your life, it'll change how you interact with the people in your life. It's hard to be petty when you're thankful for your wife. It's hard to be disrespectful towards your husband when you are overwhelmed with thankfulness for him. It's harder to be irritated with your boss when you're thankful for your job. Cultivating a disposition, a posture of gratitude helps believers fight those kinds of sins in our lives. Thanksgiving will also change how you view your work because the challenges that you face in your life are not from the hands of an angry and manipulative father. Therefore, your good, therefore, your growth, and for your opportunity to increase in godliness, malcontent can become a kind of posture that we're in in our hearts, a kind of habit or habitual attitude. We can become consistently disappointed and consistently wishing for something else, consistently unthankful. And Paul reminds us here and throughout this letter to always give thanks. In my own life, in the last two years, I've kind of rekindled a friendship with an old pastor of mine that I had while I was growing up. He's technically retired, but he still meets with young pastors and gives them wisdom and counsel and prayers. And I was meeting with him late last year, telling him some of the challenges I face in my family, some of the challenges I face in in my life, the things that are daunting in front of me. And he listened He listened thoughtfully and carefully, and then he said we should pray. He he took some time out of his busy schedule just to pray for me, to pray for you guys, to pray for this church. And as we started praying, he prayed lots of different things. But mostly what he did is he thanked God over and over and over again, like a man who's 75 and has had a life of fruitful ministry can. He said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He's constantly thanking God. And that had an impact, a lasting impact on me. And it's given me this growing desire in my heart for us to learn and cultivate thankfulness and gratitude. And I'm praying that we learn more gratitude from the book of Colossians. The next kind of concept that I want us to draw out of this text is the concept of a love that springs out or is ushered out from hope. Paul mentions three essential Christian virtues in this text. He talks about, or he mentions faith and hope and love. And the point that I want to draw out is that this love, the love he's talking about right here, the love in our text today springs out of a certain kind of hope. Listen to the exact wording. He says, we always thank God the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because... The love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. We always thank God since we heard that you guys love everybody. You love everybody in your church and you do that because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. And I want to know how that works for us. I read this text and I want this for us. I want this for me. I want the way that I love people to cause other people to hear about it and then turn to God in praise. 
I want that to be the kind of thing that we are known for. I want that for you. I want the love that you have for all the saints, which is to say the brother that's sitting next to you right now, or this sister that's sitting right next to you right now, or maybe somebody that you're in conflict with that's four or five rows in front of you. I want the love that we have for all the saints to spring out of a solid, secure hope that we have that's laid up for us in heaven. It's my deepest burden for our church that through meditation and exposition and application of the book of Colossians, that the Spirit of God would be pleased to increase our love for one another. My love for you, your love for me, and our love for all the saints that are in this place. And there are lots of ways that we're going to focus on that over the next six months. But one question for us today is, how does love spring forward out of hope? How? How? So I want us to look at the nature of this hope and ask that question. And I've got just a few ways that I think I think, um, I think we can see that love pours out of hope. The first is that hope that comes out of hope that pours forth love is eternal. It's eternal. The kind of hope that gives rise to loving our brothers and our sisters isn't temporal. It isn't circumstantial. Most commentators make the point to specify that this hope is the hope of our future resurrection. Which is, which is great timing for us because we are in the season of Eastertide where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ every Sunday between Easter and Pentecost, the 50 days between those two things in the, in the church calendar. And that matters today because I want us to have a love that ushers forth out of our heart because you remember, you remember the resurrection of Jesus and that means you remember your own resurrection that is on the way. For the sake of love, for the sake of love amongst the body of Christ, we have, to have a, we have to have a good concept or a belief or a sure and steadfast understanding of our own resurrection. One day you will inhabit a resurrection and that fact should give you comfort today. Now I wanted to give you comfort in two ways right now. Your future body your future body that's holy and completely aligned to worship and enjoy the living God, that's totally in step and unresistant to his will, that resurrection reality will never come to an end. Your new body, your new creation person will have no end. It won't be temporal and it won't be temporary like our lives are right now. Let that comfort you. And also let the temporary nature of our lives now also comfort us. Because in this life, in this life, no pain, no harm, no hurt lasts forever for you if you're in Christ Jesus. In this life, our struggle to love God and to love others are all momentary struggles. The Bible calls all of our affliction momentary. Momentary, which means the affliction that you're going through right now is a liar. 
It tells you that it will never end. It will never stop. It will never go away. It tries to deceive you and persuade you of its eternality, but it's a liar. No pain in this life lasts forever if you're in Christ Jesus. So let that hope, the hope laid up for you of your true and lasting resurrection comfort you. And pay close attention this morning. Your addiction... Your addiction will not be resurrected. Your emotional struggles in this life will not be resurrected. Your suffering will not be resurrected. Your aching joints or your broken heart will not make it to your resurrection. Hope, hope that pours forth love is also protected. It's protected. It's kept for you. It's guarded for you. You see, it's laid up for you in heaven. Your resurrection hope exists in a place that's unassailable. In multiple places in the New Testament, the glory and the treasures of the whole gospel are spoken about as belonging to us already, belonging to us right now, and then they will belong to us completely in the future. And that future reality places the implications of these glories in a place and time that is unending and unfading and invulnerable to the kind of attacks that you encounter every day in your life. How easily are earthly hopes dashed? How easily is your hope for money or acceptance or glory here on earth, how easily is it assaulted? How easily does your hope for what you can see, how easily is it stolen or vandalized or violated by the sins and brokenness that comes with living in a fallen world? Your hope for things in this life and on this earth isn't protected. It isn't. Your kids could get really sick. Your wealth can be stolen. Your reputation can be ruined. It isn't guaranteed. It isn't safe. The hope you have in the things that you have in this life isn't safe. It isn't protected. It's feeble and vulnerable. This is why it can't be the wellspring of true Christian charity and love. The hope you have for circumstantial joy isn't sturdy enough to last in the day of trouble and the day of adversity. Your hope for things in this life, the, the things you hope for in this life, that kind of hope is endangered. That's why it can't produce love. It doesn't contain the framework or the sturdiness to build up love inside of you. What earthly hope actually does, when you set your heart on things on earth, what it actually does is it tills up your soil to make it really healthy to plant things like envy. When you tether your hope to those kinds of things, what it does is it makes your heart a fertile place for sin to grow. When you place your hope on temporary things like our relationships or our wives or our money or our husbands or our family or our kids, 
our wealth or our security here in this life, when we place all of our hope on those things, when you tether your hope to those things, it makes your heart a fertile place for sin to grow. Sin like discontent, sin like envy and anger and entitlement and jealousy. And all those sins operate among the saints of God when our hope is in the wrong things. We do all those sins to each other instead of loving one another. Instead of love for all the saints, we'll be judgmental of the people next to us. Instead of love, we'll be critical. Instead of love, we'll be envious. Instead of love, we'll be jealous. Instead of love, we'll be cold and distant. But there's hope. There is a guaranteed, protected future. And friends, the future is different. It's different. That difference is protected by God himself. So you don't have to protect little hopes now. You actually don't have to set all your energy to grasp and protect your little hopes now. You don't have to be defensive when you lose them. Because there's a resurrection and your resurrection hope is kept by God himself and nobody can take it away. Hope that pours forth love is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Your resurrection is as guaranteed as Christ's resurrection has been accomplished. It's so guaranteed that it's like it's already happened. Your resurrection and all that comes with it is guaranteed. Jesus said in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. 1 Corinthians 6, 14 says, Now God has not only raised the Lord, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. John 6, 40, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So our hope for a future resurrection is eternal, and it is protected, and it is guaranteed. And asking ourselves what relationship that has with how we love one another is an important question to ask. How do we experience that hope in such a way that increases our capacity to love the saints the same way that the Colossian saints were loving one another? And loving one another in a way that motivates Paul to praise and glorify God. If you're surest If your surest and safest and strongest hope is tied to your confidence in the victorious resurrection of the Son of God that guarantees your own resurrection, if that's where your hope is tethered, then friends, you're free. You're free. You're free to love other people with abandon, complete 
abandoned. You're free to put it all on the line. You're free to lose your life. You don't have to be afraid to love people. You can be free to take risks. You can be free to make mistakes. You can be free to be honest about your sin. You can be free to keep your heart accessible to other people. You don't have to pull it away and protect it. You can be free to get it wrong. You can be free to go through hard seasons. You can be free to experience heartache and pain and betrayal. You can be free to take shots and not give shots in return because your hope is kept for you in heaven. It's kept. It's kept for you. It won't fade or fail or falter because it's kept by God himself. Hope, hope in the treasures of this life alone is unsafe and unguarded and temporary. And it will only prepare you for disappointment and utter devastation. And then you won't love the saints because love means pain. You won't risk having your hearts knit together because that means real risk. You won't pour yourself out as a drink offering for other people because you need to ration your resources. Hope in your resurrection makes you invincible to love your brothers and sisters. Hope in this life alone makes you brittle and self-protective. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Your resurrection is part of that package. It is secure, it's kept, it's guarded, it's eternal, and it's guaranteed. You don't have to protect it. You don't have to grasp for it. You don't have to scramble to secure it before it runs out. You can sit in the promise peacefully. And when all around your soul gives way, he then is all your hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. No, all other ground is sinking sand. The last kind of concept I want to draw out of the text this morning is that there's no other gospel available except for the one that's talked about here. As I turn to conclude this morning, I want us to receive the full force of the conclusion that there's no other news. There's no other news in the universe that can do what this kind of news does. There's no other information or story or explanation that spreads and increases and brings forth fruit like this information does. There's no other story or explanation about who you are or what your life is for that can provide the kind of explanation that the gospel does. We preach the whole gospel for the whole person to the whole world. And if you look for an alternative explanation, it is a trap. It's a snare And it is empty and deceptive. 
The text this morning says, of this you have heard, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel is not merely our justification. One of the men in our church, one of the men in our church taught on the gospel just this past Tuesday in our men's formation lab. And I was so thankful. I was so thankful that he went all the way back to the garden. He started his talk on what the gospel is and he started it in the book of Genesis. He rolled through all the history of redemption to help us understand the whole sweep and the whole scope of the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is your justification and it's also your sanctification and it's also your glorification. It's the news about God's kingdom. And it's the central thrust of all the stories of the scriptures. Your wisdom must be soaked in the whole gospel. Your vocation must be soaked in the whole gospel. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that we we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you, but he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Mark 8, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Mark 1 says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. The whole story, the entire news, the gospel, the good news of God's creation and fall and redemption and recreation, all happening in and to and for Christ himself is the kind of news that sinks and keeps sinking into the believer his entire life, sinks deep into your soul and does what these verses in Colossians speak about. It sinks in and bears fruit and it spreads. It impacts and increases everywhere that it goes. If you're, if you're finding yourself stale this morning or if you're bored with God this morning, If you're numb to his beauty, numb toward the desire to love God and love other people, the answer is not that you need more than the gospel. The answer is that you need the spirit of God to make the good news of Jesus Christ and everything that that entails seep down deeper into your soul. Playing church will get boring. Playing church will get stale like styrofoam in our mouths. But the gospel, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all those who believe. Nothing else in your life is the power of God for salvation. Galatians 1, 6 and 7 says, I'm astonished that you all, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ 
and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, there isn't any other gospel. There's just faux gospels. There's, there's stories and explanations that surround us and compete with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is no other gospel. The truth that's mentioned twice in these five verses is the only truth. It's the only capital T truth. Every false teaching that we encounter in this book and every false teacher that you will encounter in your life, the counter argument is always the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is about God. The gospel is about God, the one true God. And friends, since God revealed himself, the world has tried to fabricate other gods with other truths. Since the fall, human beings have looked for other false gospels and wanted to follow their own ideas. And then they pretend that those ideas are fixing their problems. Since the fall of mankind, we've made an industry of false gospels. And in the end, they all crumble and falter and fail. No philosophy can provide the explanation that only the gospel provides. No other theory, no other system of thought, no other ideology can be the power of God for salvation in your life. And if you're chasing one of those, or if you're stacking up all your hopes and tethering all your hopes to one of those, it will fall. It will fall just like a house that's built on sand and great will be the fall of it. Every philosophy or ideology or theory that promises you something that only the gospel of Jesus Christ is supposed to give you through the word of truth is lying to you and it will not keep its promises. Forgiveness of sin, a restored relationship with God, life eternal, transformation from the inside out, entrance into the kingdom of God, deep Roots as a person, life, freedom, fullness, strength in your inner being, a hope and a future, purpose, meaning, cleansing, and adoption into the family of God that never goes away because that hope is kept for us. All of it comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my longing, my longing this morning is that we see the yield the increase, the yield and the increase of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's been planted in this place, that we would see that grow and spread and increase specifically in real strides in Christian maturity and real strides in knitting our hearts together in love. Listen to what F.F. F. Bruce says about this text. What was true of the progress of the gospel elsewhere was true at Colossae as well. The Christians of that city had continued to grow in spiritual character and in actual numbers since the day that they first heard and believed the gospel. So I want to ask, I want to ask the body of Christ in this place, would you join me as we make a choice to not be bored with the gospel? 
As we put a stake in the ground during this series and pledge to not move past the word of truth to something else for our hope or our salvation, but to open our Bibles and make an effort week after week after week after week to taste more and see more that the Lord is good. And for us to do that through this word of truth, the gospel, which has come to us and is bearing fruit. It is increasing here in this place. The book of Colossians is unswerving and unapologetic with one answer. With one answer. We'll examine a few different uh, false teachings We'll examine a few different kind of burdens or concepts throughout the book. But the answer that's clear and rings the loudest in the book of Colossians is that the answer to all of those issues is Christ. The answer to our issues is Christ. The answer to our lack of hope is Christ. The answer to our difficulty or trying to knit together a family of God in a county that is half the size of Rhode Island is Christ. Only focusing on Jesus will knit our hearts together. Fill us with thankfulness. Give us a hope for a resurrection that is secure and guaranteed and eternal. And that's what I want us to do for the next six months. We're going to talk about the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ, as we, as we march through the book of Colossians. And as we do that, as we aim to do that, Christ being the answer that we need most is not a churched up answer. It isn't a Sunday school answer It's not a platitude or some kind of trite bromide. Jesus Christ is all in all. Christ will get the glory and we'll do our part to fight to get all of the joy. Amen. Amen. As we move at this time in our service to communion, I'm going to read for us real quickly. 1 Corinthians 11. We do this every single week. We do this every single week to proclaim the Lord's death, to be edified. We come to the table with joy and reflection, conviction and contemplation week after week after week. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We proclaim the Lord's death week after week after week. We proclaim it to the outside watching world and we proclaim it to each other as we look in each other's eyes and offer the bread and wine to each other. We do that to edify one another and to build us up as a spiritual family. 
The way we do communion here at Redeemer Fellowship is we, we break a piece of bread off and we dip it into a cup. The stoneware, the stoneware is wine and the glassware is juice. There'll be two stations down here in front of me and then one station in the balcony. And then there'll also be a station over here to my left, which is gluten-free and also single serve. We also, during this time, uh, bring up prayer ministers underneath the stained glass window to my left who would love to pray for anybody, for anything, any week. Um, before we do that, uh, Redeemer welcomes anybody to the table that places all of their faith and hope in Jesus Christ for salvation. Um, if that's not you this morning, man, we're so glad you're here and we welcome you to stay in your seats and not take this meal with us. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us and I'm going to welcome the musicians and the servers forward. Would all of you uh, bow your heads with me as I, as I pray? Spirit of God, would you come enable us Enable us to see gunk in our own hearts, bitterness or envy or pride or jealousy. Enable us to see the residue of those things in our hearts and enable us to confess and repent and be cleansed. Holy Spirit, would you convict the proud? Would you comfort the weary? Would you strengthen everyone's faith? Would you encourage everybody in this room, I ask, in the name of Jesus? Would you, would you bring to mind new things or new places, perhaps relationships that need to be restored, reconciliation that needs to happen? Would you bring those things to mind, Holy Spirit, I ask, as we prepare our hearts to participate in this meal? Would you do all of those things in Jesus' name? Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.